Good morning. What a friend we have in Jesus. I love that song. I'm going to read Psalm 23 for Chris this morning, and we're going to say a prayer. I would ask that you stand for the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Please join me in prayer. God, thank you for your word and that we can freely read it this morning. God, be with Chris as he brings the message this morning. And I ask for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, open our ears, not just to hear, but to listen. Not just to acknowledge your word and your commandments, but to obey. Not just out of fear of hell, but out of a love for you, Father, because you have loved us first through the giving of your Son and changed our hearts. Lord, let it be this morning, if anyone is here who has not surrendered their life to Christ, that they would respond to your word and your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. may have noticed that uh, those who come up here don't have to do the usual rigmarole with moving the microphone up and down. I don't know if you can see where you're seated, but there's a, it's a little bigger than I thought it was, uh, sitting here, and uh, that is the new microphone. So if anything goes wrong this morning, it's most definitely the microphone's fault and not mine, just so we're clear. Um, I begin again this morning with an apology. Uh, for those of you who uh, were excited about coming here this morning and learning about how women should adorn themselves and what it means that your wife or a woman is a weaker vessel, uh, we will not be in 1 Peter 3. Some of you are like, is he ever going to get to 1 Peter 3? I do promise that eventually, if I have the opportunity, we will get there. Uh, but that is not the focus point this morning. I thought that after Advent, where we celebrated Christ, it would be appropriate for us to turn our attention this morning to the new year, and with it the concept, the biblical concept of renewal. Um, I'm reminded always from the passage in Revelation where Christ speaking says, Behold, I am making all things new. 
And uh, that, just to contemplate the fullness of what that means is a beautiful thing. <clears throat> we will begin that on some small scale this morning. I know that you just stood as we read Psalm 23. I'm going to ask you again, please, to stand. You can slot this as your workout here for today. We are looking at Psalm 100. And if you would stand as you are to honor the word of God as it is read. A psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Thank you, Lord, for your living and life-giving word, may we be changed by it today. Amen. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Is he really just going to preach on five verses? Yes, that is the plan. And the rest of you are thinking, okay, is this one of those deals where we have the shortest possible passage with the longest possible sermon? That is not the plan this morning, so rest assured. <clears throat> This morning, our short passage in Psalm 100 uh, follows a pretty simple biblical pattern. It's a simple breakdown, and it follows the biblical pattern of looking back at what God has done and reflecting on his character, and then the idea of looking forward, or moving forward even, to walk and to live in light of the truth. This is a biblical pretty um it's it's a concept of renewal and a con it's a biblical concept that shows up in scripture and what david's doing here is he's instructing us to both remember look backwards see the past be reminded of god's character but also to resolve to look forward and to make changes to the way that you live your life appropriate as we turn the turn the, turn over the page in 2023 and look ahead to the next year there's a pattern and a nuance to the way that David sets this up. Uh, he's going to use some interesting imagery. He's going to repeat some of his imagery. And what he's going to do is he's going to kind of, he's going to present in reverse order. So instead of starting by looking backwards and remembering and then concluding by looking forward and resolving a new uh, set of actions, he's going to go in the opposite, he's going to flip the pattern. And he, we're going to follow his reversed order where we resolve first and then we remember second. The sermon breaks down into basically three parts. Okay, there's two rounds of resolve and remember. Round one, round two, and then we will conclude with um, an application. So let's jump into this this morning. Part one, the resolving. This is verses one and two. A psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. There's three action verbs contained in this particular section here, this first resolving phase. 
Verb number one is the idea to shout, found in verse one. Now, there's different words for shout. This one's interesting. This is the idea of a battle cry. It's a shout of triumph. Okay? Um, who is called to shout? If you look at it, it's interesting because it says all the lands. And literally what that means is the whole of the earth, the whole of the land. But notice who the shouting is directed to. It's directed to Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh, again, is the covenant and relational name of God. It's what God revealed about himself to his covenant people. I am the self-existent one. And the mention of the name reinforces the idea that those who are being called to shout are those who know him, those who are in a covenant relationship with him. And so this is essentially a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, where God says to Abraham, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. When, God, when David says here, all of the lands, this is a realization of what Jesus is proclaimed as. He is the, the God of Jew and Gentile, and Jew and Gentile are one in him. And so in this command, in this call to shout, all of the earth is referring to all of those who belong to God through Christ, who find their place across the whole of the earth. The second verb in this section is the idea of serve. It's a very generic word. It literally carries the idea of doing work. It can be on behalf of someone else, but it doesn't have to be. Obviously, in the translation here, it moves towards the idea of working on someone else's behalf. But again, the word is as generic as can be. The point isn't the work that's being done. And that underscores the usage of the generic word. The point, according to verse 2, is how it's done. And how it's done is joyfully. This affects everything that we do. According to Colossians 3, ultimately when we work, when we put our hand to work, we are not serving ourselves, but we are serving God. And we are called to appropriately gauge the way that we work, because at the end of the day, we are serving Christ. And it's not just when the work is pleasant or when the work is enjoyable. Hebrews chapter 12 teaches us that joy is what sustained Christ on the cross. So even in the most dire of circumstances, literally, joy, joyful action, joyful work, finds its resolve and its identity in Christ. Those belonging to God should go about their work with joy because we are serving the purposes of Christ. Verb number three in this opening section is the idea of entering. Now, I know in verse two it's translated as come before his presence. But the idea there is an idea of entering, literally entering before his face. So literally before the face of God. Now I pondered this one a little bit in preparation and I thought about this. Oftentimes, we ignore, we distract ourselves. In essence, you could even say that we hide from the presence of God. 
Kind of like Adam did in the garden story. When we're dealing with things that make us uncomfortable, when there's a struggle with sin, we often hide from and distract ourselves from the face of God. Instead, according to David, we should seek after the face of the Lord. And this requires laying aside our distractions and being honest about what's happening in our life. And it has a specific purpose. It's for the purpose of response. Here in this verse, that response is singing. And it's interesting because the translation there is literally shouting, but it's not the victorious, triumphant battle cry shout from verse 1. This is a shout of joy that's described as ringing joy. So it's like bells ringing, ringing joy. We are not to hide from him. We're not to avoid him. We're not to engage distraction, to remove ourselves from being confronted with his face. We are in to intentionally enter his presence in order to worship with ringing, overflowing joy. Now that's the resolving portion of part one. Here's the remembering portion of part one. Verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In this verse, there is a distinct theme of creation and care. It starts by calling us to remember that the Lord, Yahweh, is God, Elohim. We have both words there in the Hebrew. The covenant, relational, self-existent one is also the creator God. And this is important because it underscores purpose for us. What it means is that we belong to him and we exist to live in relationship with him. As our creator and the one who caused the covenant through which we find identity in relationship with him, we both belong to him and we exist to live in relationship with him. The Lord is God. And also in this section of remembering, we're confronted with the reality that the Lord is our shepherd. Now, literally the translation, which goes to say that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, literally the idea there is we are his tribe, we are his gathered group, we are the flock of his pasturing. And the translation note there is interesting. Because when you read pasture in the English translation in verse 3, you're tempted to think like the actual field, right? The field where the sheep are out there doing their thing, being taken care of by the shepherd. But the translational concept that's coming through here is not the field. It's not the location of the sheep. It's literally the action of the shepherd's pasturing itself. It's not the physical field, it's what the shepherd is doing in caring for the sheep in the field. And this is why we heard from Psalm 23 to begin our time together. Because here's what Psalm 23 teaches us 
about the pasturing of God. It teaches us that he provides for our needs, but that he also brings us to rest and refreshment, that he guides us in righteousness, and it's his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, not our own. It teaches us also that he comforts us in times of trouble. It teaches us to replace our fear with his provision. He does that. It is part of his pasturing. He honors us as part of his pasturing. And, you may have heard this before back in June, he hounds us with his goodness and his steadfast loving kindness. And then finally, he secures our identity, both in this life and eternally. That's the pasturing of our good shepherd. And when David says we are the flock of his pasturing, that is what we receive on his behalf. So part one of this psalm, verses one, two, and three, the first round of remember and resolve, what it does is it establishes our identity as belonging to God by way of creation and complete care. And it calls us to delight in our relationship with him and to serve him joyfully in our work. So on to part two, verses four and five. The resolving in verse four involves three more action verbs. Listen to verse four. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. The first verb that we get there is the verb to enter. Now, this is a repeat of what we saw in verse 3, where David used the enter verb again. But this time it comes with a twist, because this time there is a specific location attached to it. There is the gate, which is the place of entrance, and there are the courts, which is the place of gathering. Think of it as people moving into a location where they will worship together where corporate worship will take place. Because that is what is being communicated here. This is a demonstration of corporate worship. This is commitment to worship together with the people of God. Enter the gates and the courts. Verb number two in this section of resolving is the idea of being thankful. Now, if you go back to the very beginning, verse 1, which most of you know by now, includes the title, A Psalm of Thanksgiving, this is where that comes into play. You literally had to wait 80% of the way through the psalm to hit the title. But here we are. So let's talk about this idea of thanksgiving for a second. Be thankful. Be thankful in this particular section is how we are supposed to enter the gates. We enter the gates with thanksgiving. And it's a standalone concept here that we're going to see again in the next idea. But thanksgiving is an interesting word. The root of this word in the Hebrew comes from a word that means to throw something or cast something. Thanksgiving coming from the root word that means to throw or cast. Now, the word specifically translated thanksgiving means having hands extended. So at this point, the idea is you have completed the motion 
of throwing or casting, and you stand with hands extended. And the idea is the hands are extended for the purpose of praise and for the purpose of expressing thanks to God. Now, I want to pause here and do what some people say is move from preaching to meddling. And I'd like to talk just a bit about my own personal experience. When I was younger, um, I was very uncomfortable with myself because I tended to sweat a bit. And sometimes when you're a sweaty person and you engage in this concept of thanksgiving and you lift your arms... It becomes uncomfortably apparent that, you know, you're a sweaty person. And so from a young age, I had what you might call some hang-ups or insecurities about demonstrative worship. Because the last thing I wanted to do is be in a church setting, lift my hands up, and make it abundantly clear to everyone that I had a sweatiness issue. Just being honest with you this morning. I don't know what your background looks like, but I do know that it feels like sometimes when we're gathered for worship, there are people who want to be a bit more expressive about raising their hands. And I feel like I might not be the only one who has just some innate awkwardness or sense of unsurety about the whole idea of raising hands. Is it too demonstrative? Am I trying to draw attention to myself? And yes, I, I realize that perhaps I'm stepping on toes here. It's not the case. I really felt as though when I looked at this, came to understand what's loaded behind the concept of thanksgiving, that perhaps it would be all right for us to address this, even from the pulpit, and to say, when we gather to worship, it's okay. And it's biblical. Correct that even in the course of our worship, we would raise our hands, even if it means we show off our sweatiness a little bit. <laughs> I think uh, Tim Hawkins does a fun little sketch where he talks about all the different ways that you can raise your hands in worship, and it causes all of us to laugh, me included, because it kind of catches a little bit of humor into maybe what be, it might be a little bit of insecurity. But at the end of the day, don't lose fact. Don't lose perspective on the fact that if it's appropriate for David to call the people of God to worship with lifted hands in thankfulness, then we can do that too. Again, this is not an edict. This is not part of the Constitution. I am not as an elder saying, y'all better raise your hands. What I'm saying is, if we have... I am serious. If we have an environment where we are free to do that, to be obedient to the calling of what God's word gives us, then maybe it'll help remove some of the awkwardness that exists and be a place where there's no judgment about it. That's the goal. So verb number one, to enter the gates and the courts. Verb number two, to be thankful, which may in fact include lifting up hands. And then we have verb number three, which is the idea of bless. And this is an interesting one. And the, um, the translation is very short. It just says, and bless his name. 
Literally, the idea of here for bless is to kneel in adoration. And in doing so, what you're communicating is the opposite of cursing. It's interesting because it's kind of defined by what it's not. So to kneel in adoration so that you can communicate the opposite of curse, but instead bless. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Yes, I went to Bible school. Yes, I have some extensive you know, time spent studying God's word. But there are certain concepts that you come across in scripture that make you uncomfortable from time to time. And one of those for me was this idea of us as human beings blessing God. In my mind, as a good reform-minded person, God as sovereign is the one that should be doing all the blessing. Like he's got the entirety of the storehouse of blessing. And if he decides to pour out blessing upon me, I as a willing recipient with joy in my heart should receive that blessing. But in no way am I ever in the place of God to bless other people or to bless, maybe to bless other people. That's not necessarily a God thing. We can be a blessing to one another. That's a pretty biblical idea. But for me to bless God, that was one thing that was kind of like, I don't even know how to fully understand that. Well, thanks to my time and study in preparation for this passage, I came to understand that what it means for us to bless God is for us to literally submit in adoration, to take a knee, to kneel before him, and in so doing to communicate his value and to bless him and bless his name. Now what's interesting here is the use of name. <clears throat> this is not the word that means your specific name. This is the word that means that which identifies you. So we will kneel in adoration in, in deference to that which identifies God. Clarify. Submission and adoration. Sorry. Sometimes you write a note and you're like, I have no idea why I wrote it that way. It made sense last night. Doesn't make sense this morning. And I just started saying it. And then I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Some of you may not have been here very long, and you might wonder why we have the kneelers. Because that feels a little bit different than what we typically do here in the way that we worship on Sunday morning. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that when I learn about this concept of blessing God. To give opportunity to be able to kneel together in adoration before the Lord. To submit to him and to make great his name. Finally, section two of part two, and this is the remembering. Again, we're going out of order here, and we're stepping into a set of actions first, and then looking backwards and remembering the truth that guides those actions. And in verse five, we have our final second set of remembering. David writes, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So what we're taught in this remembering parallels Psalm 23, verse 6. Number one, Yahweh is good. The covenant God, the, the revealed self-existent one, is good. Goodness, again, as the extension of his nature, his nature of joyful grace, kindness, and love. 
that defines our covenant God. Number two, his mercy is everlasting. I won't belabor this point, but when I had the opportunity to preach previously in June about Psalm 23, this idea of mercy in its elongated form is the idea of steadfast loving kindness. The steadfast loving kindness of God is everlasting. That's, I'm not fishing for an amen, but that's an incredible statement. The steadfast everlasting kindness, the steadfast loving kindness of God is everlasting. And what that means here, different than it's set up in Psalm 23, is the idea truly that's used to communicate everlasting in Hebrew, which is the idea of it extends beyond the vanishing point. Again, from their perspective, there is a horizon, there is a vanishing point without clarity of what goes beyond or what happens beyond that vanishing point. But what David communicates here is that the steadfast loving kindness of God, it takes us beyond that vanishing point, and it's there with us. In fact, it is what takes us beyond that vanishing point. And finally, David adds one element here that he doesn't include in Psalm 23. And that is translated in most of your English translations, his truth endures to all generations. I'm going to tell you right now that a better translation for this last phrase is his faithfulness endures to all generations. And your Bible may have that. I didn't look at all of the available trans, all of the available versions. His faithfulness endures to all generations. What a list. Think about those three things that we're called to remember in this verse. You know, when we sing about things like, he will hold me fast, and then we ponder the goodness of God, the steadfast loving kindness of God, and the faithfulness of God, he will hold us fast. So part two of this psalm, the second round of remember and resolve, brings us face to face with the kind character of God. And it calls us to commit to worship together with thanksgiving and adoration. Finally, part three, our application and conclusion for this morning. According to scripture, God has given us seasons, seasons, which call us to remember the way that he provides for us. When you read in scripture, God says, I give you seasons. And so long as the seasons endure, so shall the earth and my care for it. Seasons to remind us of his provision. And years, years to be testimony of his renewal. So as we face this new year, I want to ask you some questions. Where are you? Is Christ not just your creator, but also your savior and sustainer? Is Christ your great shepherd and provider? Are you being hounded by the goodness and mercy of God? Would you recognize it? Are you experiencing the faithfulness of God? Would you recognize that? And as you consider resolutions, intentions, or themes for this new year, would you please consider these? Number one, 
making a commitment to work joyfully as ultimately your work serves Christ himself. Number two, being intentional about laying distractions aside in order to seek the face of God in personal worship. Number three, committing to join with the people of God for regular corporate worship. And number four, being willing to raise your hands in thanksgiving and kneel in adoration as you worship. Please turn down the kneelers in front of you as we pray together. Heavenly Father, you are creator God. You are good. We receive your goodness. Your mercy is everlasting. And we are blessed to receive your mercy. And your faithfulness endures all generations. And Father, you are also our shepherd. You are our good shepherd. Your pasturing is kind. And you care for us. Father, would you call us to confront the reality of the way that we live our life? Are we committed to worship, both personally and corporately? Do we distract ourselves? Do we hide from your face? Or do we boldly enter and stand before you in order to shout triumphantly, and with ringing joy, the praise of the one who has provided for us all that we need. Would you cause us, Father, to move beyond areas of uncertainty, areas of uncomfortableness, to be people who are committed to worshiping you? Thank you for this reminder. Thank you, Father, for a new year a new marking of a new season, a new reminder that you provide for us and you care for us, and an opportunity to build on the testimony of your faithfulness to your people. I pray, Father, that 2024 would be a time of growth for Sylvania Church. Father, we know that growth does not happen in ease. We pray, Father, that you would grant us what we need as we take steps towards growth each day, each week, each month of this coming year. Renew in us joy as we remember who you are and the faithfulness that you have extended to us, and as we resolve to walk in obedience as it relates our, to our work, our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.